This is Prayer Room Companion, episode 66, recorded August 17th, 2011. Still found in translation. Welcome to this week in Prayer Room Companion. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and with me as always... Father Andrew Dickinson. Good to see you, Father. Good to see you. At least what I do see of you today. Uh, Half screen, Doctor Bergwall. And and uh, that profile is really your best. To you be quiet. Sorry. <laughs> and with us today, uh, Nathan Knutson, Master of Ceremonies with the Diocese of Falls. Hi, Nathan. Hello. Um, Hello, Nathan. Hi. So Nathan is Hello. with us because he is the go-to guy for today's topic, right, Father? He is. When we have questions, Nathan has answers about today's topic. Well, actually, he's the sort of go-to guy. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Because really, the go-to guy in the Diocese of Sioux Falls would be His the Excellency Sir. Paul Joseph Swain. Yes. Him. <laughs> right, you're right. But, but he has not yet learned how to trilocate. He can bilocate. And so. But he has not learned how to trilocate, so he does use people like Mr. Knudsen for such things as this. Exactly. So this thing, which this is that we are talking about, is the new translation. Father, you and I did a podcast back in February, um, uh, I think episode 65, Found in Translation, was my pithy uh, title for that episode. So I'll have to come up with a new pithy title. Uh, maybe still found in translation, I don't know. But anyway, um, so we thought it'd be good to talk about, maybe we're getting closer to the introduction of the new translation. Um, the first Sunday of Advent is November 27th. So November 26th, at everybody's uh, anticipatory masses. Um, the weekend of Thanksgiving and My birthday. Nathan's birthday, we are going... Really? Yeah, which Saturday or Sunday? Oh. Is it Sunday? Sunday. Uh, we're going to be begin using this new translation. And I think a lot of people. I'm guessing maybe the anybody who's listening to the pod, this podcast, is is up on such matters and knows uh, roughly what's coming. But we'll just sort of we'll sort of lay the groundwork and and cover the introductory material just in a, in a basic way and and talk a little bit about why we're we got the new translation and give us some examples um, about it. Um, does that sound good to you guys? Yeah. Oh, you're asking us, not the audience? Because we're going to have to wait a while. Yeah, oh, that would be like some sort of strange, like, how would we do that? I don't know. It would be really awkward. It's a responsorial silence. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that. Responsorial psalm today is, please respond. Excellent. (laughs) Nice work, everyone. Um, So, Nathan, uh, what's up? (laughs) <laughs> with the new translation. Well, I think maybe we... This is the easiest podcast we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> we can start with just the term Roman Missal itself, uh, maybe a little bit, a bit about what it is, um, but more important, the, the title, the name itself, Roman Missal, is a little bit new to a lot of people because we're used to calling it something else. Yes, Father? Well, yeah, I mean, the whole word missile, I mean, I keep thinking back to, like, Tom Clancy movies, maybe Jason Bourne. Does that mean we're going to get into, like, the spy trade or something with missiles? <laughs> uh, Nathan, I'll let you take this one. Well, we could call it uh, the, the Roman missile if you're thinking in terms of war or something. But um, um, missile meaning uh, from the word misa, meaning mass, uh, what oh. we go to. So what the priest uses at Mass is the Roman Missal, obviously coming from Rome itself, and coming from the Latin, 
uh, Missal Romanum. So it's just being a little bit more true to the to the Latin Roman Missal, but also uh, we're used to the term sacramentary, which is kind of uh, going to go away. Um, we called it the sacramentary for a lot of reasons. Uh, probably the main one, just that it was an old term that we kind of thought we should recycle. But um, they've asked us to use Roman Missal just to be a little bit clearer. Uh, sacramentary being a group of prayers that was kind of bound together. Each little area of the world had their own sacramentary. You think of uh, like the Gelesian sacramentary and the Leonine sacramentary, according to the little areas that came. Um, but then, uh, especially like Could you, Saint- give a moment? Could you give like a one sentence direction of what Gelesian or Leonine mean? Well, just it just usually talked about um, where where it was being used, what hood it was being prayed at and stuff. Or who was, who was Did you just say hood? He said yeah. he said hood in this in this August podcast. Such How dare he? Uh, but I think he also, this podcast. Podcast. in terms of who's like Leonine, like Pope Leo. Exactly. Or, yep. Or Pope Gelasius for the Gelasians. Exactly. Yep. Certain popes would come along and say they want their own their own typical edition. We call it their own version with quite a few changes and. Um, that's just so typical. They'd name it after themselves or, or Popes. Popes. So, anyway, they're trying to be a little clearer now, and so we're not going to use sacramentary, just a group of prayers. It's much more than that, and it's it's being used much more widely across the world in English-speaking countries, um, at least 18 English-speaking countries, but if you look at it further than that, any country that uses English as a second language or a major language it really includes, I think, close to 40 countries or something, if you add it up. So it's quite amazing. Wasn't it? Wasn't also the case, though? I mean, because after when after the reform uh, in '69, there were basically two books on the, in the sanctuary, right? The one with the readings and one with the prayers. And so they said, well, what do we call the one with the prayers? Well, okay, oh, sacramentary from so we. And then the other one was just the lectionary. Yep. Whereas now we're going to have what? It's still going to be what we're used to. It's still going to be the lectionary has the readings and the missal has the main body of prayers. Um, it's not like the 1962 missal that still can be used, the Missal Romanum, that has the body of scripture in it. It's not like that, but it's just saying that um, this is, is much more than um, just a little tiny group of prayers that were specific to that part of the world. Okay. Okay. Father, any questions about that? You clear on that? No, I think that makes uh, pretty good sense. Okay, so so in fact, the answer is yes. You you're clear on that, as opposed to no. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's sort of terminology. So why, Nathan? Why? why I mean, you know, we've been. <laughs> Isn't there, because I think some people would legitimately say, all right, 1969, we went through all this change and things changed and we're going to do it again. Why, is it really worth it? What, what, what's, so, what's so important to, that we go through the Mass being, of course, the typical Catholic's weekly experience of the faith, uh, the source and summit of our faith. So why go through, um, what, what's so important about this new translation that it's worth sort of the, the change that we're going to go through come November? Well, I guess we touched on it a little bit just in our talking about the word sacramentary versus Roman Missal. The fact that every pope 
would not every pope, but every every now and then a pope would decide, well, there's some changes that need to be made. So I'm going to make this new typical edition, this new major edition. And so probably the most common reason for having a new missal is the fact that new saints are named and we want to include them in the prayers of the Mass. We want to include them with their own prayers. Uh, so we th- think of modern saints like uh, St. Uh, Pio, St. Padre Pio, or we think of Catherine Drexel or other modern saints. Okay. There's a list of about 17 or 18. Uh, Josephine Bakita, um, I guess Catherine Drexel isn't on the list. I was thinking of something else. Um, Our Lady of Fatima, Most Holy Name of Jesus. I don't know them all, but um, there are all these different feasts now that we can include in this Missal. And I sort of make the joke that uh, the Missal was approved and released, and then within days it was outdated because we had, <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, Pope John Paul II was beatified and, you know, God willing, soon canonized. Mm-hmm. And so the Missal already won't include him. So we just think about this evolution and, and uh, living, breathing organism of the church that our, our books and our liturgy continues to grow in that way. So that's one of the maybe more common reasons for why. But that's that's that not about the translation, though, right? That's, it's not about the translation. You're right. So actually, that's, but that's a good point to go back to. So um, we're translating the, the third edition of the Missal. So that was the edition that came out in 99, 2002, so, somewhere. The Latin came out in 2000, uh, 2002. 2002, okay. Yeah. And that's the one, does that include all these prayers, or is it, or, sorry, all these other saints that you were just talking about, the 2002 Latin includes all of them? Uh, includes some of them. Some okay. of them have been added since, since then as okay. well. Okay. Yeah, but most of them. So we've got sort of, there's an update of the, the Latin text in 2002, and now, in uh, nine years later, we're, yep. getting, <laughs> we're getting the translation for that third edition of the Latin Roma, uh, Roman Missal. Yep. Missalia Romanum. Okay, okay. So, so good. So why the translation? So I guess the main, one of, some of the main reasons for the change in translation itself um, are, you know, I think you talked about it well, Chris, at, at any workshops we had throughout the diocese, was the biblical references, the many, many places in the Mass where we, we are referencing Scripture, and sometimes that maybe got washed away a little bit or watered down a little bit, um, or changed altogether, sometimes omitted. Um, so we're bringing those biblical and scriptural and spiritual references uh, back into the Mass. One could think of, um, like in the Third Eucharistic Prayer, the priest currently says, from east to west a perfect offering may be made. Um, but the biblical reference really references, I believe it is Malachi, I might be wrong, um, that says, uh, uh from the rising to the setting of the sun. Mm. And it's much more accurate, much more uh, following what the Bible actually says and the point that it's actually trying to take from the Bible instead of just saying from east to west. Um, it's it's fine to say that, but it's not being very complete. Okay. Other reasons, um, being careful to patristic writings, any any pope or major doctor of the church saint that wrote something specific, think of like St. Augustine or any, especially the older early saints, um, a lot of what they wrote, what their writings brought about was a change in the faith for a specific reason, maybe battling uh, a, a problematic part of the church or something. 
And so to allude to those in prayers, but then change it in translation can have a damaging effect. So really to be true to those uh, writings again. Um, some other reasons, maybe a little more mild, but... There's actually, I think, a, a, a very common and relatable experience in this way. Um, you know, you think about being with someone maybe who's not a non-native English speaker, and you want to make a reference to something to them, you know, and like it's it's referencing an old American folklore or, you know, Die Hard, you know, or Rambo or some movie like that. You try to throw out the phrase and reference it, and then they try to translate it in their heads, but it doesn't translate very well because of that. And so it's interesting to see how when you're alluding to something in the text, you really need to stay true to what you're alluding and how it can get watered down. You lose that direct scriptural image, as you were just saying. Yeah, and it isn't a it isn't an easy thing to take it from an ancient language and, and put it into our modern language. And so that's another reason is we've kind of had some time to live with English a little bit more in the Mass. And so now how do we use it maybe a little bit more accurately, reflecting some of those texts and the Bible too, some of the new um, references, some of the new uh, technology that we've had, um, research in, in areas of the Bible, we've been able to use the English maybe a little bit more accurately. Uh, some other little major, or some other little reasons that aren't quite as major, um, capitalization, um, just capitalizing God, uh, Holy Spirit, His, um, we don't capitalize, interestingly, we don't capitalize like you and your when it's referencing God. Uh, they must have made a decision at some point about that. But a lot more capitalization throughout. Um, a lot more, the prayers are a little bit, changed in syntax. You notice, uh, if you know any any languages, Romance languages really, that English is a little bit different than, you know, especially the Latin where the verb often tends to be towards the end. Not that we should talk like Master Yoda, but um, <laughs> that um, the syntax changes a little bit. And so what happens is usually it becomes more God-centered. It becomes more focused on what we're actually praying about and not quite so much about ourselves. It's it becomes more about our uh, destiny, our how how God lives um, in and through us, and the prayer is much more centered on that than than blessings or or it's all about us. Sometimes is the way that it was worded, just in syntax. Um, so those, those are some of the main reasons. There's many other reasons, too. But Yeah, I think uh, with the biblical one, I, probably my favorite example comes just before we receive communion. Uh, right now, it, it says, and Father, I mean, I'm not, we're not at Mass, obviously, so y'all, I have a tendency to forget exactly how it goes, so correct me. But, um, Lord, I, you, the priest elevates the host. It says... Something <laughs> we say, Lord, behold, I'm not, Lord God. behold, Lord God, behold, He who takes away the sins of the world, the happier those who are called to his supper. And we say, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the word, and I shall be healed. Uh, whereas the biblical, or sorry, the, the Latin uh, has a has a beautiful biblical illusion that's lost right now, um, and is recovered in the new translation. So we will be praying come Nathan's birthday. Um, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, 
but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. So, Father, I just that's in the Bible. That's in the Gospels. I know that you, you may not be familiar with that 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 book, uh, the Bible. Um, <laughs> they can hear me shaking my head. <laughs> so, but but that, the allusion to the centurion who comes to Jesus and has the sick servant, and Jesus says, all right, let's go. And, and, and the centurion says, no, I'm not worthy to enter into my roof, but only say the word, my servant shall be healed. It's almost verbatim lifted, except my soul instead of my servant, uh, into the mass, uh, into the, the, the Latin. And, and it's, it's, it's unfortunately been lost for 40 years, but now we're going to be, it's going to be, in a sense, recovered in at least the English response. Father, any, uh, any, I know you're somewhat familiar with uh, um, the new translation. Any, any other examples like that that you're particularly excited about? Um, there's a couple of them. Uh, you know, I, I was, even just actually the basic response of the people, and this comes just from hearing the Mass in other translated languages. Uh, of course, you know, right now, at the beginning of Mass, or different points in the Mass, the priest will greet you, the Lord be with you. And also with you. Yes, uh, but now in the uh, on your birthday, uh, Mr. Knudsen, that'll change to the Lord be with you. And, and with your spirit. spirit. And with your spirit. And I remember just really being struck by this uh, when I heard the Mass in Spanish, as well as the Mass in German. You know, in Spanish, it's El Señor con vosotros y con tu espíritu. Y con tu espíritu is the response, you know, and with your spirit. And in German, und mit deiner Geister, with your spirit again, ghost, spirit. And so, um, very excited for just those trains, just thinking about the whole idea of being more in tune with the rest of the world. Right. uh, In that sense, we're united in that uh, translation with a a much greater harmony. I was even struck with that, I remember the first time I heard the Mass in Spanish, and that response you were talking about, Dr. Bergwald, uh, before the communion rite. You know, of um, Lord, I'm not worthy uh, to receive you. Remember uh, saying that in Spanish for the first time. And I'm like, well, wait a moment, this doesn't yeah. sound, you know, casa. Casa means house. What's this doing here? Right. Absolutely. And you know, Father, one the example that you gave, and with your spirit, one of the things that I didn't realize until. I think we were getting, well, I don't know, I maybe come across at one point, but particularly with the New Translation, that itself is biblical. St. Paul uses it as a greeting in a couple of his uh, epistles. Um, so I think that's maybe one that people are, is going to be foreign to a lot of people. And with your spirit, what the heck does that mean? Um, but again, it's, it's, a, bib- a, very, uh, a, it's a biblical phrase, a Pauline phrase, um, uh, that we're recovering in the English. And of course, that's been there, well, for centuries at least, uh, in the, the 1962 missile, uh, uh, um, uh, in the Latin. So, so yeah, so I'm, I, just the, the, the biblical allusions. And a lot of people, of course, you know, to be realistic, it's not that people um, are going to go to Mass on the first Sunday of Advent and, oh, that's from St. Paul's letter to St. Timothy, First Timothy. Uh, I mean, parishioners at your parishes. <laughs> That's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're, you're right. The uh, b- the well biblically versed parishioners that you uh, that you have up north there. Hey. So most excellent. Yeah, exa- indeed. Um, okay, so that's a little bit about uh, anything else about rationale or, or reasoning, uh, Father or Nathan, that you you want to share. Were, were there things we're looking forward to still, or I, I don't know, Nathan? Do you have anything else? Well, because I, I had something. Yeah, go, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, go. Okay, and 
I mentioned this to you guys at the beginning, but uh, you know, there's right after the consecration uh, or during the consecration, during the uh, so after the uh, precious body has been consecrated, it's been elevated, right? You know, the and genuflect, bells ring, maybe incense, you know, and you know, right now he took the cup. I mean, it's just to me, it's just so depressingly short. He took the cup. He took the cup. Um, the new translation, or the proper, or the new translation, I should say, of the ISIL is going to be: He took this precious chalice in His holy and venerable hands. And I just love how it just it's it's much more fitting of the moment, in that sense. I mean, this is where uh, heaven is. You know, the, the the divine marriage feast is being celebrated. You know, where heaven is wedded to earth, and uh, the language should be a little more noble. Should call our minds to. You know, important and importance and solemnity. Right, sacred language. Yes. Yeah. That does not divide, but rather attracts. Right, right. You know, one of the while we're th- speaking of of um, the new translation in the context of the of the words of consecration, I think one of the um, one of the other new translations, the uh, the words of consecration uh, with with the, the chalice. Um, there's reference to uh, for you and for all. Jesus says, you know, the word, well, Father, Father, what are the words of consecration with regard to the cup slash chalice? Uh, from uh, the current translation? Yep, current, current translation. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven. Right. So Do this in memory of me. Thank you. Yeah. So do this uh, should be for for you and for all. And in the the Latin, it says for you and promultus for many. And so the English is going to say for many. And, and some people have you know have questions about that. Why why does it say for many? Did it, didn't Jesus die for everyone? And the first point that I make is um, well, it's it's because that's what Jesus said. Um, if you look at Matthew's Gospel, the Last Supper, those are the words that that our Lord uses um, for many. Now, having said that, it's true, and I say, yeah, it's true um, that Jesus did die for everyone. Uh, but we need to accept that gift of salvation that He offers to us. So the many that He uses, the the Son of God made man, that He uses, and that we in turn are going to use in the New Translation. Um, and that we have always used throughout, I think this is probably other cases where other uh, other languages have been using, translating promultus as for many, uh, just refers to the fact that we need to accept the gift of salvation that he offers to us. Uh, so that's what I think where people might be a little unnecessarily concerned about what we're saying uh, with, with that change in translation. So, Well, it's interesting, too, that uh, if you... Uh, currently would use, if the priest would currently use the 1973-75 sacramentary, which I think is pretty common just in my travels, um, that the priest actually has to alter it from what it says, because it actually says, uh, for you and for all men. And we haven't heard that in a long time. It's something that was changed uh, a little while ago. I don't know the exact year, but um, there was a document sent out that said we should we should delete that word men. So uh, the 75, which we can still say valid mass with that uh, missile, it just says uh, for you and for all men. And so the priest has to just uh, delete that word out of there. It was changed in the 85, 
but there weren't enough addition or additions or changes to the 85 that a lot of people really ordered the 85. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one of the things where some people might say, well, gosh, I mean, going from all to many, but it's interesting, the command is, at the beginning of the institution right, still is for all. You know, take this, all of you, mm-hmm. and drink from it. And so the invitation is still to all, but I think it, it calls to mind that proper attention as well, that all will not take it. Right. Yep. yep. You know, and, and also it, sh- it should be a, a reminder for us that if we take it um, without due recollection, you know, from First Corinthians, that we take it without due recollection, without due examination, it won't be for the forgiveness of sins, but even for judgment against us. You know, one of the points that I think this is, a, this is sort of just a parenthetical remark. Uh, one of the things that in our workshops, um, uh, we uh, Bishop Swain wasn't able to be with us at the workshops, but he had a recording, and the first thing that he said was, "Relax." You know, I think I mean, the, these are changes, uh, and especially as I've said to especially lay people, it, it, it's not really so much we the people who have the tough time. Uh, it's going to be the the priests, uh, Father, like yourself, who who had the, the majority, frankly, of the changes. Um, but regardless, lay or cleric um, or religious, the, the, the idea that we just need to relax and take our time, uh, become familiar with it, that's why we've been doing this preparation work. In our diocese, Nathan has been writing columns in our monthly bishop's bulletin uh, for over a year probably now um, on various aspects of the new translation. Um and so, just getting ready for this, but but not to be to be uh, anxious in any way about it. It's a it's a beautiful translation. Uh, there are reasons for for everything, uh, for all of the changes, uh, and so just you know to to, to uh, chillax about it and, and not get too concerned about about getting used to it. I mean, I know that like Bishop says, you know, initially all of us are going to have sort of our, our, our noses in the book, so to speak, um, really being paying attention to, to the, to the words, but before too long, uh, particularly for priests who say the mass every day, uh, and those who go to daily mass, but even those who, who go to weekly mass and are able to get to daily mass within a couple months, I think will be, Nathan, what do you think about that? Exactly. I, I find it hard to give these talks sometimes, and I can't remember the old prayers because it's not that I've been with it that long, but just studying it a little bit, and I'm like, have to ask the people, you know, what what is the current prayer? Because I just can't think of the way it was. So I think uh, as we go, you know, it'll take a little adjustment at first, of course, but um, a few months into it, I think we'll all be doing the same thing. You know, what was the old prayer? And uh, hopefully we'll remember the little changes and, and more importantly the the theological significance of them or scriptural significance of them. Uh, that's left up to the good fathers to, to focus on that. But yeah, Father, what do you think? Any any comment on that point? Well, I I, I feel confident that the people of God are smart and that they're going to pick it up and they're going to roll with it. You know, and like with anything, as they as they make an effort to receive it. Yep. Yeah, I think there 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 are a couple of, of translations where their words might be um, new or, or unfamiliar to people. I think probably the biggest example is in the uh, in the creed, um, where in regard to Jesus uh, in the the Nicene Creed that we say um, after the homily. Uh, right now um, we say, um, "True God." 
God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with a father. And the new translation is going to be uh, begotten, not made, consubstantial with a father. And we could, I mean, I, 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 you can spend quite a bit of time explaining that. It goes back to the first major council in church history, Nicaea in 325, uh, combating one of the first major heresies of the church, Arianism, which denied the divinity of Christ. And the bishops of the church came together and, and said that, we no, Jesus is of the same nature. He's the same kind of thing, of creature, of being, as, as, um, as God the Father. He has the same nature, the same essence, the same substance. So consubstantial was the Latin term equivalent to the Greek word homoousios uh, to explain that Jesus is of the same substance as the Father. And one in being does not have carry the same weight, frankly, the same meaning that consubstantial does. And so that's a word I think... You know, what, what What does that mean? But you can explain it. I mean, I, I don't know, Father, if you thought it, I had a chance looking obviously far ahead, but uh, a priest can explain that in about a minute in a, in a homily, I think. Don't, don't you think what, what that term means, why it's used? Right. What I'll say, I think that the most important part is that historical reality. You know, uh, uh, as you say that it's worth learning just for history's sake. Um, you know, that it's... Uh, it's, it's like it's like, it's like kids learning the Gettysburg Address, sure. you know, memorizing the exact. You know what is what's the language of the Declaration of Independence? You should actually learn it, not just well. It, it says we're free. Yeah, that's a great point. Yep, and that goes. I mean, that, to me, that's that's uh, not the same point, but very similar to the idea of what you were talking about with with uh, the the language uh, of, of taking the chalice, the, the sacred language. I mean, it's, this is. Language is part of who we are, and, and we're Christians. We're, we're Catholic Christians, and, and this is terminology that, that we, as, as the body of Christ, the, the community of disciples, have been using um, since the early 4th century. So it's important to make that our own as well. Very much so. It's, it, yeah, very much so. It's, it's part of being an active, practicing Catholic in the way to know, know your history in that sense. Um, Nathan, anything else that you, uh, you particularly think is, is worth keeping in mind or noting? I guess uh, one of the areas is just sort of verbiage in general is is changed a little bit. Uh, there's a few examples that come to mind, the first of which is the term uh, penitential rite is what we currently call it, although uh, if one looks even in the germ 2003, it already had changed. What's the, what's the germ? Uh, the general instruction of the Roman Missal. It's the little booklet that you, you, you can buy it as a standalone book with all the rubrics and the instructions on the Missal. But it's also in every single sacramentary and every single Roman Missal itself in the very front part of the book. It's kind of the how-to guide of, of okay. the Missal. Okay. Um, if you look at the edition of the germ that was released in 2003, it already changed that word from penitential rite to act of penitence, which is even, you know, takes a little bit of thinking to, to understand maybe why we changed it that. But now in the 2011 germ, the revised one that's coming out uh, again, it's changed even just a little bit more to penitential act. So instead of act of penitence, we switch it around penitential act. Um, we think of the penitent man in the uh, Indiana Jones. Yes, uh, um, the penitent man. Only the penitent man shall pass. Only the penitent man. <laughs> the penitent man. Maybe that's. 
unfortunately, the deepest it goes with the word penitent. But, um, <laughs> but look out for the the spinning razor bar, whatever. Uh, but it's true that it's not its own. Well, there's a moment of repentance when Indiana Jones, I mean, gives up the Grail and holds on to his dad. You're right. And the sock to his death at the end. Yeah, Junior. You chose poorly. So it's just a little difference in in terminology instead of. Um, that part of the Mass, it's not its own right. It's not like you're coming to the cathedral for the right of the election or something. It's not its own right. It's it's an act within the Mass itself. Uh, so just a little different terminology. And then I guess maybe one of the other ones, you guys probably have some too, is uh, the communion rite is the same thing. Um, we, we call it the Liturgy of the Eucharist, which is certainly correct. But also the term communion rite is starting to be used a little bit more. Um, Chris is pointing it out, so maybe he wants to make <laughs> No, it. no, that's all. I just want to, we do use rite. <laughs> we do use rite. Um, but that, see, the, the liturgy of the Eucharist is its own part of the Mass. Right. And the penitential act is, is a smaller part. It doesn't really stand It's on its own. Um, I guess we have confession for that purpose, yeah, yeah. Um, but not part of the Mass. Um, another another point um, is just um, some of the germ, once again, the general instruction of the Roman Missal just changes some of the, the way things are stated, like when it talks about the entrance um, the entrance of Mass. This is getting into a bigger topic than we probably have time for, but um, just the fact that we talked about singing in the in the mass, and it, the first um, time we ever really talk about singing at the mass is at the entrance, or when the priests and ministers and servers and such come walking in, and the 2003 germ um, talked about it. Um, there's many different ways to talk about it, but the quickest way is it said a suitable liturgical song. And so now that, that word song has been changed, just the difference in terminology again, it says another liturgical chant suited to the sacred action. So it doesn't mean Gregorian chant, square notes, um, old monks, really slow chant. Um, it, it just means a piece of music that's suitable for that liturgical action. So it's it needs to be suited for the Mass, but more specifically than that, it needs to be suited for the liturgical action that's happening. So something that actually accompanies the priests walking in, what's the point of that part of Mass? Well, it's to set the people up for what the Mass is about, why are we at Mass this specific Sunday, you know, what's important about Corpus Christi Sunday or, or you know, any given Sunday. Um, so it's not something that's just a song that we kind of press play and go. Um, it doesn't even matter maybe what we're singing. Um, it's saying, no, we should really think more about that. It needs to be a suitable uh, piece of music, a suitable chant suited to the sacred action. Uh, so just a little different terminology. That's, like I said, a bigger topic than we could get into, but uh, just these little different ways that things are restated. Sure. Okay. Father, anything that you uh, want to note in particular? No, I think uh, it's going to be it's going to be a fun birthday for uh, Mr. Knudsen and for all of us, and a glorious weekend. Uh, to uh, and I, I just have great hope uh, that this mass uh, will be very beautiful. I was 
reading a, uh, especially as we engage the secular world, I think on the campus I'm much more aware of the secular world than maybe some other priests are um, uh, from various parts of, uh, of, of the country. But they had a, uh, I was reading a, the blog of a, uh, a priest son of our diocese. He now serves the Vatican as an Archbishop Nuncio. But he was talking about the liturgy, and in there he uh, pulled out a quote about uh, the Mass and the liturgy relating to secular society. Um, and he says, you know, uh, if members of secular society turn to religion at all, they do so because they're looking for something other than what the culture already provides. What people look for in religion is a plausible alternative, or at least a complement, to life in a secular society. Religion that is, quote, more of the same is not likely to be very interesting to secularists. Amen. And I think this language will help to create that beautiful sacred language and by the words themselves create a sacred space, if you will. Absolutely. And I, I think just my my probably final thought, the um, I think it's providential that it's coming when it is because it's uh, – Let's face it, priorities, it's Thanksgiving weekend, and everybody's going to be in a tryptophan-induced coma anyway, so nobody's going to be paying any attention to what's going on, right? <laughs> so, no, I think it's a, you know, it, it, I'm very much looking forward to this as well, and, and uh, I think part of it, too, just the fact that it's, it'll be new language, uh, I think it's a great opportunity for people to uh, sort of renew their attentiveness to what's going on in the Mass, you know, that, because sometimes the, um, with, we're getting used to the same. We get used to the same words, and so we just sort of say them by rote, without without intentionality, uh, without attentiveness. Uh, but but with the new translation, I think is a great opportunity because we'll be more focused on what we're saying. Hopefully, we can engage ourselves, our minds, our bodies, our souls, our hearts uh, more fully, as Vatican II desired we do uh, with active participation. Father, and I think as Bishop Swain uh, expressed it to uh, his clergy one time. He said, the great thing about being Catholic is that we know all the prayers. But the bad thing about being Catholic is that we know all the prayers. Right. And so this will hopefully help us uh, break out of that a bit. Very good. All right. Uh, thanks, Nathan, for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Father, good once again to have you here as always, Father. My pleasure, Dr. Bergman. Oh, sorry. Oh, Dickinson. Sorry. Okay. All right. And with that, we will be back again next week with another episode of Prairie Rome Companion. God bless.